Hello, it's Catherine Williamson and this is Gobstopper Episode 8. Gen Z Jill. Oh, I can't wait for this podcast. So, welcome Jill. Thank you. We're going to grapple with Gen Z and what does that mean and Maybe we should kick off by putting you on the spot. Can you do the chronology of the different years or what came in which order? I'll try. So Gen Z, in my understanding, is 13 to 27. And then Gen Y, sometimes also called millennials, that's where it gets confusing, are 28 to 42. Mm -hmm. And then Gen X, which would be you, 43 to 58. Gosh, given that one away, Jill. (laughs) 43. (laughs) Last birthday. Come right, on. we're coming to you next. <laughs> and then and then boomers, anyone over 58. So boomer, of course, I've just worked it out, is a baby boomer Absolutely. after the war. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. I just needed to get that bit of a yeah. clarity. Yeah. So we've got a sense of age. So any time between 13, 13 and 27, 27, people in that generational group are in their first job. They've gone through university and people in corporate environments, in any environment, they are now engaging with this generation. And by 2025, they will make up 25% of the global workforce. Right. That's what's so frightening about this. So when I started to think about this and thought, you know, I just wonder what percentage they are of the global workforce. 2025, 25%. It's a very easy number to remember. So that has a huge impact on the workplace environment. So I've heard it said the grads, the people that are coming into organisations now, are Gen Z, are different. They're a different breed. Well, ever since I was in teaching... In the 1970s, people have said, oh, they're not what they used to be. <laughs> so to some extent, you know, that that will always be true. And I think individual attitudes and preferences mean that people are different. So there are going to be variances based on culture and upbringing and personal experience. But what research does show is that there are some differences. And I think one of the things I notice more now is that because of the global reach of technology, the same generation has more in common globally than ever used to be the case. You know, it doesn't matter where you go in the world, you tend to hear the same songs being played. You know, I'm back in Myanmar in a few weeks' time. I haven't been out for a while. But whenever I was out there before, I'd be watching Premier League football on the television. There is something about now generational well, trends. Much that, more harmonised. more harmonised, yeah. So just whilst it's ticking around my brain, where do we park our snowflakes when they talk about snowflakes? So it seems to me that the things that I'm reading about that make them really different are, first of all, Some people would say they're very money motivated. That's absolutely not right in my view. But they are much more upfront about money. It's all right to talk about money and it's all right to talk about how much you expect to earn. And that's not always been the case generationally. So a snowflake, they're talking about people that sit in the Gen Z parameter. Okay, so there's some certain rules and regs. What are the differences? Because everybody in that age group has been in the era of the internet, haven't they? Am I right saying that? So it's the first generation that is entirely IT immersed. If you look before that, then 43-year-olds, you know, the other end of millennials, didn't have the internet before. Um, so, so, yeah, you're quite right to say that. So, so their interaction with technology is really different. They 
expect places to have good technology and to be efficient. They want innovative technology to make their job more interesting and and more productive. Um, I think that they're also very different in terms of work-life blend. I think they put a lot of high priority on their personal lives in a way that some generations haven't done. And um, at the moment, I think I mentioned when we were driving here that I'm, I'm actually doing an engagement survey which was splitting by generation because the issues there are generational issues. So I think, you know, that work-life blend thing, in, particularly in businesses where people typically have put in very long hours, it's different. I think they like, they expect flexibility. They expect to be able to work remotely when they want to work remotely. They like to be quite independent in the way that they do things. There's a tendency, therefore, to pull away from rigid structures. And I think you've got to be more intentional, therefore, thinking about how important is team and when do they need to be with the team and when can they work on their own. Um, I think they're quite entrepreneurial. I think uh, a lot of them will have side hustles. I see that in (laughs) Southeast Asia a lot, where the real ambition is to set up my own thing. Mm. And, of course, that gives you... It doesn't, well, you and I would know it doesn't give you lots of freedom in many ways because you've got to earn bread and you've got to bring in money. Um, But it gives you more freedom in terms of how you work and when you work often than it might do if you're working for someone else. Um, I think there's a lot more social conscience. Um, I think there's a real desire to make a difference. I think it's been interesting irrespective of generation, to see how much more important on engagement surveys the items around purpose and meaning are. We talked about that when we did the stuff on spiritual intelligence. But that seems to be really important to this group. So corporate social responsibility, important area for them. And I think it's been interesting to look in the marketplace, almost a, a pulling away from prestige brands And the emphasis is on uniqueness. Mm. So vintage things, for example, Mm. would be attractive because there aren't that many of them. Yeah, and also recycling. Absolutely, the whole of that. And I think that whole sustainability, inclusivity, Mm. those are the sorts of issues that matter a lot to them. Diversity, Mm. really important. Mm. and then I think the other thing is this constant learning and growing. I think they are eager to learn. We were talking in the last podcast that we did about how important it is to to set up that learning for life mindset from a very early age. Um, they want to keep skills and knowledge up to date. And I think they value mentorship. They really do value mentorship. So older people who can get onto their wavelength and coach them. They don't want bosses, they want mm. coaches. Yeah. I think all of that is really important. And so setting businesses up to work intergenerationally, I think is going to be an important challenge for the business world. Hence, you know, having a client who's coming specifically 
to do something about how do we integrate Gen Z so that we use them to add value and not to detract value. Because there's a potential for judgment, isn't there? I've got two children, absolutely Gen Z, 23 and 26. I was in the 80s, earning lots of money, drinking loads of Bollinger, walking around with my shoulder pads. It was all about my big career. I was working crazy hours right into the beginning of their childhood. And I do feel that this generation have had the hangover for some of our excess, mm, haven't they? I think that's right. Yeah, yeah because we, we, <laughs> we yeah. had the party, they've got the bill. <laughs> what I also am very sensitive to is they're just not in awe <laughs> necessarily of positions of authority. They don't knock themselves out of shape to get on with us. We have to show and demonstrate relevance. Yeah. Because they're managing time. And I know where the frustration comes from is when they're out the office at one minute past five or in the office at one minute to nine and people are going, but I worked, you know, I'm doing two more hours and I'm getting in early and they're not playing ball. It really is a judgment territory, isn't it, Mm. about perceived work ethic. Mm. But as we know from our previous podcast about embracing AI, there is a real potential they're going to work so much smarter, Mm. be far more informed Mm. and have a different work rate because they are absolutely able to use technology like they learnt to breathe. I think that's right. And I I think they bring some very different things. And, you know, you were saying that there's something about getting onto their wavelength. This morning I was working with someone on the other side of the world talking about a piece of work that I've got to do. And they know so much more about the technology than I do. So much more. That's really where they add value. I don't think they've ever built structures before Mm. and they're wanting to populate the existing structure. And I'm saying if I look at the structure, it doesn't support the strategy. It's so much more sensible for us to draw up a new structure which takes account of this new technology. And if you can help me to get my head around how we can build a customer-facing structure to support this customer-facing technology, we can then begin to populate the structure. And so what I bring is an institutional knowledge and a a kind of corporate wisdom that says you always look at structure before you look at populating structure, because otherwise you'll get round pegs in square holes. Um, Um, Always good for business for us, though, Jill. (laughs) When when people are so miserable, they've got to work out what's making them sad. I know that was said very, very flippantly. But we are working with a much more uh, informed generation that will potentially operate and want to work at different hours because they're very much more aware of where you can get the best and since we've locked people up in their houses and told them that they have to work from home people have seen the light haven't they you know work-life balance actually just not even forget the gen z's getting us lot to go back into the office is a bit of a challenge because we've seen that you can walk a dog work very very hard sit in a lovely office at home not have the commute and what's the attraction and appeal so it's there's a pushback in more generations, isn't it? that's right, which is why I think businesses need to be proactive to help people to see the value of blended ways of working. So there's no doubt at all I'm more productive when I work at home. Mm -hmm. But this piece of work that I've been given to do, I have not got the ability to do it on my own. And I said to my husband at lunchtime, I've had a brilliant morning. And it was because when I'd finished coaching this person, we'd agreed that we're meeting in three weeks' time. And by then, they'll have done some work thinking about this structure. They'll have explained it to me. And then I can start thinking about what do you need to be good 
in this role. Mm. And it's just so exciting because I wasn't sure I could do it well without that support. Mm. But they also know that if they'd started by trying to just shift around mm. the pieces on the chessboard we've got, it would have been a real mess. Mm. So in a sense, they, they're excited as well. You know, I got a lovely email afterwards that said I felt so energised after that call. And I sent an email back and said, so do I. Um, and it's that. And so I think if we can show them the value of working cross-generationally and they can help me with the digital stuff, um, but I can help them with some of that institutional knowledge or I can usually point people to bits of research that have more value and I think if we can try and teach them to work in that way then there's just a lot that we can add. Yes I agree with you. My husband's a fantastic rugby coach. I could see that those lads at the graduation absolutely adored him mm. because he had that mm. relationship bit. Mm, that's but, right. But at 60-odd, um, he still was prepared yeah. to find them in their world and draw them into yeah. his. And that stands the test of time. That's your, your best bosses, is it? And people often say to me, it's like working with my grandma. They used to say my mother at one time. <laughs> um, and they know that I'm not a threat to their job. They know that I'm interested in them as the future. Yeah. And so I think if you can build that inclusive, diverse group or team to work together, that's just what they want. Mm -hmm. And knowing that they've got something special to add as well mm -hmm. is really important. Yeah. So, Jill, let's be really honest. They're going to make up 25% of the population. We have to be in readiness. Absolutely. So how do we yeah. be in readiness? And and for me, a lot of this is about the whole thing about inclusivity and diversity. You know, forget about the age stuff. If you've got a team where you've got someone who's really creative and good with technology, someone else who knows customers really well, is older maybe, has really good long-standing relationships with customers, and someone else who's just a hard slogger, Mm. then if what we're trying to do is to produce something for that customer, you would have divided the way people worked anyway. You'd have had your customer-facing person telling us what the customer needs. You'd have had the person with all of these creative ideas thinking about these are some of the things we could do. And you'd have had the hard slogger maybe saying, well, we could do this, but we can't do that. Mm. And so to me, it's not a lot different. You think about the value that they add. And you think about how do we recognise their brilliant creativity? How do we harness their ability to work with technology? Because we're all going to have to do that. Um, how do we harness their adaptability? You know, they come in at a different time. Mm. Um, I suspect that if you said to them, so could we all make midnight next mm. Monday? They'd probably say yes <laughs> if it was an exciting project. Mm. Um, other people might not be as keen to get in at midnight. Uh, you, you can kind of hear what I'm saying. And I think if you, if you looked at the importance to them of social impact as well, they would be great ambassadors for the purpose of your company. And, and I think the other thing is that often people are not mindful about what they're learning and I may have said this in a different podcast, but one of the things that I've been trying to do to get leaders to find more time to lead is to get them to send people to meetings with a learning objective, as well as with an objective of bringing back the main points of the meetings and the actions that need to be followed up and by who. But if your learning objective is something like 
look at who influenced who in that meeting and how they did it. Mm. Or if their learning objective was, look at how that presentation made an impact and make recommendations on how it could be improved. Then have a conversation with them, not just about the meeting, but about what they'd learnt from that meeting and how they could accommodate that into their own growth and development. Then by making them mindful of what they're learning, mm. I think they begin to value more being part of a team where you've got more experienced people or people who bring a different sort of diversity. I think as a team leader, cognitive diversity is something that very few people ever think about. What does it mean? So cognitive diversity to me is difference in the way that people think. Mm. And if we've got cautious thread over there, just stressing the value of cautious thread that might keep us in all of our jobs. Mm. Um, and by pointing those things out and making them part of that shared conversation, I just think you grow them. Mm. So to me, when I moved from the world of official education into the world of business, it just became a bigger and different world of education. Mm. And to me, that's what a manager's job is and it's what a leader's job is, is to grow and develop people because they're the most important resource we've got. And what's really interesting is that we've got people now that use our podcast to structure part of their coaching. Yeah. So we've shown an adaptability, haven't yeah. we? We've shown a willingness if you yeah. go where the people are. And, and it's short. Well, they're usually short, <laughs> which is one of the things that people like. Yeah, because they've got that amount of time. Yeah. To and you can blend. You can listen to a podcast while you're running. Mm. For me, that those days are gone. But I walk the dog and listen mm. to podcasts. Mm. So we understand it better. We understand who they are, how they're different. We understand the challenges they bring in terms of how we engage them, but we also are very clear about the value that they bring as well. And that we have also talked about how organisations are in readiness to get the most out of it because the 13-year-olds will be going into university and the university students will be going into workplace. There's still quite a bit of this generation making its way through, isn't there? So there's a receptivity. Do we know what the next one's going to be called? The next generation? Mm. No, I don't. Well, I've got I don't, it. But it might be called the COVID generation. I really? don't know. I just don't know. You know, one of the things that's very clear is that all schools now are talking about the impact that COVID has had on people's learning. You and I have worked with people mm. who've been in university during mm. a COVID time and looked at the impact that that's had mm. on their learning experience and their life experience. I don't know about you, but for me, you know, three years at the London School of Economics was a time when I went on demonstrations and became quite politically aware and I loved it and I w it, it wasn't just about learning about economics it mm. was it was something much bigger than that yeah. um, so they'd missed that I've got grandchildren you've got grandchildren who missed a whole raft of social experience because of Covid now mm. In the podcast that we did on AI, we talked about the importance of those soft skills. Mm. They really missed out on those. Yes. And I don't know how much damage that's done. And I don't know that anyone has ever done that piece of research that says how much is important between ages one to three, mm. ages three to six. You, you hear what I'm saying, mm. ages six to nine. I don't know what they'll be called, but what I do know is that they're probably going to have been impacted by COVID. Mm. And even if they weren't able to go out and 
demonstrate or have that collective might in terms of that practical sense. They'll have formed very strong opinions about whether they believe the situation was managed or mismanaged and the consequences of their prom. Alice paid an awful lot of money for a course in Nottingham where she didn't put a foot on territory for practically a year and also she wasn't able to see a tutor. Yeah. You know, so there's opinions being formed that will find their way through. I in think terms that's of- true in Gen Z. Mm. I, I think in the younger generations, for mm. me, it will be, are they socially equipped mm. for what we need them to do in the future? That, to me, is the big challenge. Well, I think that's been rather interesting. So um, I've learned something, as I always do. So I'm going to put you slightly on the spot here, Jill. Have you got a sense of where we're headed next or should we just surprise them? I think I'd like to surprise them because what I'm finding at the moment is that every month the things that are coming through in the business press are different things. I'm just going to tell you something that um, that might make you laugh. So when I was at university... I can remember being taught about exogenous variables and it's completely decent. And I loved the phrase and I used it very regularly. And then I I hadn't heard it used again until I heard someone use it on Radio 4 about three weeks ago. And exogenous variables are all of the things that are going on in the ecosystem that are completely outside your control. Now, this morning on the radio we're hearing about falls in the FTSE 100 and so on and what's happening in the American economy and is it going to hit recession. We've still got a war in Europe. It's not clear where that's going. We've got China now starting to reboot, uh, which will probably have an impact on supply chains across the world. We've got a global shortage of workers. Where's this all going? And so every month in the business press, it's a whole different raft of things that people are trying to wrestle with and I'd just like to see where this is going by the time we meet in another month. Okay Jill well I think I like a bit of suspense but what you're saying is basically it's the most it's it's just a super dynamic time. I think that's right and 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 I I guess my question would be do we ever get back to a, a situation where it's anything but managing and leading in, a, in an unstable environment and that might that might even be where we go but yeah. let's see yeah leading through constant uncertainty yeah well we've had another go at it <laughs> so jill thank you very much and i really look forward to having it revealed to us where we're headed next thank you jill thank you thank you